welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. My name, for those of you that don't know, is C.J. Reynolds. I have a YouTube channel called Real Rap with the Reynolds. I teach ninth grade, primarily ninth grade literature, and I teach a hip-hop elective in West Philadelphia. And I've been teaching for the last 12 years, taught for... The first part of my career in Camden, New Jersey, and now I'm in West Philly at an all-boys school, and it is the best. And so the idea here is that we're taking your questions and we're giving you live answers, like real feedback in real time instead of just uh, trying to email someone or DM them and then waiting for a response. It's a really great way to just get like instant feedback on things and questions answered that you're wondering about. So um, to get us started while I'm waiting for questions to pop up, uh, Michelle, what is something like a tradition or a routine that you have at the end of the year that kind of helps you either get out of school mode or into summer mode or to relax? What, what do you do at the end of the year that, that helps you do that kind of stuff? I sleep a lot. Like if you want to be completely honest, I mean, I am normally very sleep deprived within the school year. I stay up very late and I don't get a lot of sleep. So one of the first things I do is I sleep. The next day after school, I do not set alarms and I'll be completely honest. Like I wake up in the afternoon usually and I just don't do anything that day like I watch Netflix and I sleep and that's usually about it um wine helps too <laughs> it helps you to unwind but I I mean I enjoy the off time in the summer and I like to be able to relax at the beginning and then I like to kind of jump right back into it I like to think back on the year and figure out like what resources do I need for next year and then what I can do to better prepare excellent um yeah I think we uh, at our house, I have two kids. I have a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. And so every year I have them write uh, a list that they call their summer of adventure list. And that list is like all the crazy stuff that we're going to do this summer. And that looks like a lot of different things. Like last year, my daughter had ride the bus because we don't ever take public transportation. And so ride the bus, go to the dentist and jump off something high into water. Those were like her top three things. And I just thought, never in your life ever again will you ask to go to the dentist. This will be the only time that you're ever excited about that. So that's just a fun way for us to like get into the summer because I feel like after teaching, it takes me about two weeks to get out of the pattern of like thinking about lesson plans and what's going on next and what I need to be doing. So yeah, that's that's how we try and ease into that. Um, so I'm going to jump right in the questions and try and maximize all the time that we have here tonight. So I'm so bad with, I say this every week, I'm awful with people's names and sometimes it's not, I don't even know if it's someone's real name or if it's just like their screen name, but Revis Kalar, I'm probably saying that wrong. I really apologize. You have a beautiful profile picture though of a bridge. Um, and she, or he asked when you were studying to become a teacher, how did you deal with people looking down on you for your career path? Or did you not experience that? Uh, did you have any problem with that? Did your parents or, or your friends say anything about that to you? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely gotten a lot of backlash. The number one thing I always heard was, you're not going to make a lot of money. And I mean, my parents have always supported me because they've always known that I wanted to go into teaching. Um, but I definitely had, you know, just family members saying, like, you know, make sure you know, like, you're not going to make a lot of money. And I would say the best way to kind of combat that. Um, I've always been a big believer in like, stay silent, work hard. And then when you are success, 
successful, then you can come back and kind of like, here, I told you so. And I honestly feel like I'm experiencing that a lot right now. And, you know, all the people that look down on me for teaching and I always experienced it where I was always a person getting straight A's and I had a super high GPA and I had people telling me like, you can go into something better than teaching. Like you can be something better. And to me, that is such a like horrible insult because I'm like, how do you see any other career as more valuable than teaching? Like teaching is literally what creates all other careers. So I feel like, like you know, I, I work hard. Um, my goal someday is to be teacher of the year and I cannot wait for that to happen just to like show all those people that like doubted me or didn't see teaching as you can be successful with. Um, it's just a great way to kind of show that you can still be successful as a teacher. Yeah. I, I grew up in a blue collar family and no, no one ever went to college. No men on my mom's side of the family, which was primarily who raised me, uh, ever even graduated from high school. And so when I wanted to go to college, everyone just thought I was nuts. And, uh, so, because everyone just became a construction worker and, and that's what my family's primarily made up of. And so when I told them I wanted to be a teacher, that just kind of blew everyone's mind because I didn't even like high school. I was not, I was an okay student. I liked my friends, but I didn't like learning and stuff. Not until after high school, I sort of had an epiphany and then started reading and couldn't stop reading and then thought what better way to to kind of carry on with this than to teach other people about it. And I mean, my story is a little bit longer than that, but uh yeah you know the funny thing is now if anyone comes to my school if like any of my family members come to a play or come in for something they're always kind of amazed that this all worked out like they just thought it was it wasn't going to work out and then all these years later it's kind of like oh you're still doing this like and you're doing all right like you're happy doing it and so yeah it's it's fun to prove people wrong in that way to just show them that like yeah i could do this like this is I think what I was meant to be doing. Um, yeah. So I'm going to jump into a question. On, if you see any questions too, feel free to to uh, to jump in there. Um, Genuine Teaching asked, "What is your favorite way to unwind during the school year, especially on those busy work days or nights?" Yeah, my number one thing is working out. Like I was a runner for years. I was a runner in high school. I was a runner in college. I used to run marathons. And that's like my number one stress relief and weightlifting. Like there is no better feeling than having a stressful day at school, going to the gym and relieving stress. And that's definitely just my number one thing. And that's also like my way to take me time throughout the year. Cause I think that's super important. Like make sure you take time for yourself. And for me, like when I go to the gym, that is my me time. Like I can put on my headphones. I can completely tune everything else out. I can get my mind off of school and like me and like becoming a better person not only like as a teacher but just as a person in general too yeah yeah that's it's it can be hard too especially i feel like when you have a really bad day it's one of those jobs where like it comes home with you and i could be having the greatest day ever and then that last 10 minutes before i leave school something happens that i have to address and i deal with a student who's disrespectful or just gets under my skin for some weird reason and then i end up taking that home with me and so for me the problem is i i can't bring it in the door because i have two little kids and i have to do homework and make dinner and help like with things around the house and uh so yeah for me it's a lot it's either um like praying at night or i do the gym also like i'll go and just run and that kind of like helps kind of reset my 
whatever's going on inside so that I can like be present through the night. Because for me, that's like the most important thing is to be able to just be present with my kids uh, at night and not bring all that stuff home with me. Um, Decorian Lowry asked, any advice for me? I'm going into secondary English education. Any advice about lesson planning or grading papers? Is there a special way that you deal with either one of those things? I, I feel like a lot of schools have a very set curriculum, but I'm not sure if your school's like that at all or not. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say it, it totally depends on your school and it totally depends on your school's expectations. I mean, we have a set math curriculum and we have a set reading curriculum. The reading curriculum, I mean, I'll be completely honest, I don't follow it to a T. Like my thing is I'm just gonna do what's best for my students. Um, and my best philosophy is close your door and teach. Like at the end of the day, you know your students best, you know them best. And if that means not following a curriculum that was written 10 years ago, then that's what you need to do. Um, and that may not be the best advice, especially if you're a first year teacher, because I'm not telling you to like go out and break the rules, but just know that you have to look out for your students' best interest. So in terms of lesson planning, it honestly depends on your class. I mean, I've had three different classes and I've had to teach them three different ways, just depending on how the students are. So you really don't know, like until you get to meet your class, like what teaching style is going to work best for them. Um, in terms of grading, like I like to get my grading done that day before I leave. I feel like that's the best way to plan in the future. Like I can't really plan the next lesson unless I know how they performed on this lesson. So like, that's my data. That's what's going to drive future lessons. Um, I like to get my lesson planning or my grading done so it doesn't like pile up. And, you know, I don't, I'm not one of those teachers where grades are due and you have like a whole pile of stuff you have to get to. I like to just get it done that day and have it out of the way. Yeah. I, I think I, I in terms of grading, in terms of grading even for the students, like the having, students, it like having it done as kind of benefits the students, it gives them feedback in real time almost. The closer you can get to that, the better off you are. Um, it's funny, I can hear myself through your through your microphone, I think now it's like coming back through the computer. Um, in terms of in terms of lesson planning though, especially with secondary ed. I plan, I have friends, uh, my friend Randy plans almost this whole year out, he has planned out before September starts. And I think my planning, I, I hasten to use the word organic, is a little bit more organic though than that. Because I think if my students aren't understanding something, I might have to take it back a step or two and then and go through that material again. And, and I really, I'd rather, them kind of like go deep with the material than trying to cover just a whole bunch of material in the year. And so if I don't get to everything that I want in the year, that's okay. I want the kids to understand the concepts that we went through in the year. And so I'll plan things out for the week. I'll have my lesson plans ready for the week. But oftentimes if I'm driving to school and I'm thinking about a certain student or about how things went yesterday in class, I might completely curtail everything that I was going to do for that day and just start something new if I think it's going to benefit the students more. Yeah. Um, is it still echoing? Can, is it echoing also? Well, it's not on my end. So I was asking like if it's still echoing for other people because, okay. I mean, I, my phone is like, I don't know what else to do. Is your, is your volume down on your phone? Yeah, my phone's on silent. Oh, okay. Okay. We'll just keep okay. going like, then. Just, just keep there's going nothing then. we can do about there's it. There's nothing we can do about it. Okay. We'll figure it out. Uh, so, uh, Kristen so, D asked. Kristen D asked. 
I can really hear myself. It's hilarious. What is the solution to the disrespectful student rant? I used to be scared of my teachers because I respect adults. I know you've talked about this a lot. I know you've talked about this a lot. Where are you at with that sort of thing? I would just suggest that deal with disrespectful. Yeah, I mean, I've been dealing with that a lot and it's honestly a hard thing because also like that's not a environment that I grew up in. Like, you know, I never would have dared spoken or treated my teachers the way that some of my students treat me. And it's OK, I'm seeing that the echo is really bad. Um, I don't know what else, know what else to do. Maybe it's me. Um. Let me try. Is that any better? Kate's saying it's still really better. Maybe headphones? I will try. I'll try headphones and see if that works. Okay, if not, I can find headphones too. And I will be quiet though. So if you want to speak, maybe the echo won't be so bad. And then, uh, so you can keep going with what you're talking about. Oh, great. Now we sound like robots, even better. <laughs> Um, yeah, disrespect has been a very difficult thing because um, it's even more difficult when, you know, you try to contact home and it's no help. Um, and you, you know, sometimes you'll call home and the parent will ask to speak to the student and you hear the way the student speaks to the parent. And like, I've had some times where my jaw about hits the floor because I could not imagine ever speaking to that way so it's a really hard adjustment and i'll be completely honest i don't feel like i figured out like the answer um my issue right now is that i have like a large group of students and you know two of them will be having issues and then as soon as they fix it it's two other ones and it's just like the whole dynamic of my class has been very difficult because my kids do not get along and like last year my class wasn't like that at all so it really just goes to show you how every single year is different and you know my first year of teaching was rough and then last year was fantastic and so i was like okay i'm getting the hang of this and then suddenly i'm at this year and i'm like this is my hardest year yet and you don't expect that your third year of teaching you know you think it's going to get easier every year and it like it totally just depends on the dynamics of your class yeah i think that i think that can you hear me yeah, I can hear you. Uh, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a whirl. I'm not sure how I sound. I'm not sure how to fix it, but we'll give it a shot. So, I think one it has to do with the year, right? So, like every year, you're gonna get a different group of students, and they'll interact in different sorts of ways. And some years are just great, and it's kind of inexplicable. And I take total credit for that, even though I don't deserve it. And then other years. It's a total nightmare and you just can't figure it out. And so the, the ways that I kind of go about that is I, I try and do a couple of things. One, I think relationships with the staff are huge that if you have relationships with staff members, they can support you through that and you don't feel like you're going it alone. I know when I first started teaching, one of the things I did that really hurt me was I just held up in my room all day and I never talked to anyone else because I wanted to just be me and the kids. And I was so busy that it was hard to find time to step out of my classroom. But now having friends, like every Tuesday or every Thursday, rather, we try and eat lunch together. So we eat in my room. We're not in the teacher's lounge. So it's like not just like a complaint fest or something like that. And we're all together and just talking about our problems, but also what can we do to help one another get through those problems. And so I think 
relationships with students are also key. The kids that I've had the problems with the most, I have like a number of tactics that I use to go, uh, to go at that. So one, I might like pull students aside and talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, never ever in front of the class uh, because that gives them an audience. And if they're, that's already what they're looking for, they're just gonna keep looking for that. And so pull someone in the hallway. I always, at first, I take the blame. Whatever you're doing must have something to do with the fact that I'm not like speaking to you the right way. I'm not trying to help you in the right way. And so I put that on me and I ask them, what can I do different to help you? And I think that throws kids off a lot of times. They always think that you're going to like yell at them and not say, wait a minute, I'm obviously doing something wrong. What, what can I do to help you? And, and so that helps change the conversation a little bit. And, and after that, you know, I've had kids, uh, I've talked about this before on here and on, on my channel. I've had students that were just total nightmares. And I, one student I had last year was a pain every day. He was disrespectful to my co-teacher teacher every single day. And so I had my wife one day, she made lunch for him and she put it in a bag and she wrote his name on the front of it and wrote him a little message on the inside. And his detention was that he had to eat lunch with me every day for that week. And I just asked him questions about himself. I didn't ask, say too much about myself. It was, what are you into? What kind of sports do you like? What music do you like? What makes you happy? What makes you sad? What's the best thing that ever happened to you? And those sort of, that interaction completely changed the outlook with that student. It completely changed the situation. I had zero problems with him for the rest of the year. And that might not always work. You might put a week in and do that and the kid still sucks and you don't know what to do next. But I just think that that one-on-one -on -one attention, so many students crave because they're not getting it at home or they're not getting it anywhere else. And so it can really, really help. Um, I have a million ideas on that, on that, but they're all like kind of variations on that theme, which is like relationships with other teachers and with students. As a high school teacher, I rarely ever call home um, because for the same reason, I feel like you just get the show a lot of times. And I feel like a lot of times parents don't know what to do anymore either. Like if your kid's still doing this and they're 15 and 16 years old, like what are you supposed to do with them now? Um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to just keep jumping from one thing to another. Uh, Marissa T asked, Michelle, would you ever consider teaching middle school? What, so why, why did you teach the grade that you teach? Oh, middle school. Uh, Everyone loves that grade. Why, why did you teach the grade that you teach? I... Second grade was my favorite year. Um, and I think it's funny when people always say like, oh, what grade do you want to teach? Because I feel like people think you get to just pick your grade. And like, that's really not how it works, at least in my experience. Most of the time it's, you know, here's what grade is hiring and you can take this job or you can leave it. And I find it very ironic that I ended up in second grade because that has always been my favorite grade um, growing up. I love second grade. So I love that I now get to be like their second grade teacher. Um, I think it's a good age level because they're a lot more independent than like kindergarten. Like I could not do kindergarten. I don't tie shoes. Like it's just not my jam. Um, but at the same time, you don't have nearly as much testing as like third, fourth, fifth grade when they're doing park tests. I've definitely realized after being a teacher for three years that standardized testing, like I despise it with every part of me. I don't like it. So as much as I can stay away from that as possible is great. Um, I, 
I just don't think middle school's for me. Like I honestly, I second grade, maybe even first grade, third grade, somewhere in that age range, I feel like it's just like the age that I can connect to best. Um, nothing against middle schoolers, but I just, I just don't think it's for me. Like, it's just that gut feeling. I'm not saying I wouldn't try it, but I just honestly don't feel like it's the right fit for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I just, part of me really wanted to teach earlier grades because I thought like that old adage of uh, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. And if I'm teaching 12th grade, like I have in the past and someone can't read, it's like, what am I supposed to do in a year? Like sprinkle magic all over the situation and all of a sudden they're going to read. But I really, so I think that's why I went with ninth grade over, over the older grades. Cause I do like teenage years. I think they're very, very confusing for students. They're going through a lot of changes and I feel like I've always felt like teenagers aren't are there's a, a poet that I like who has this great line that says speak when spoken to, but then you're never spoken to. And I feel like that's teenagers in a nutshell. A lot of times, especially um, kids who like they're come from one single parent families and they uh, moms work in two jobs. Like who's asking you about yourself? Who's asking you what you think? And, and I, so that's part of what drew me into that. And I, I don't mean to like, pigeonhole every kid from the city uh and say they're coming from the same thing but um someone followed up had a follow-up question about what we were talking about earlier and said what do you do when administration doesn't back up your discipline situations do you have an issue with that at all yeah i mean i'm kind of in a tough spot right now because i don't know it's kind of hard to say our district is kind of under fire for like discrimination and so I feel like there's, um, they're really trying to decrease the number of referrals. And so like, that's hard when you have these issues. Um, and I, I've always been the kind of person where I want to handle it in my own classroom. Um, and I've had to write several referrals this year and like, that's not me. I don't do that. So it's been hard, but I honestly, I feel like my hands are tied and I've done everything that I can do on my end. And I feel like at that point, administration is supposed to step in. Um, but I almost feel like for some of them, like they kind of don't know how to handle it either. And, you know, I had a kid one day where I took him up to the office. He had a referral. We talked to his mom on the phone and he got in school suspension and he immediately went back to music and right away was already in trouble. Like it did absolutely nothing. Um, so, I mean, honestly, in those cases, it's hard. Like, that's what I'm dealing with now. And I haven't figured out, like, what is the best way to kind of overcome that? Like, honestly, right now, I'm kind of just trying to get through the last couple of days. Like, I'm trying to stay as positive as possible, but it's very, very rough. And um, I've kind of realized, like, okay, administration isn't really doing a whole lot. So I've got to figure out a way to handle it. And I'm trying to just you know, still make those connections with the kid. I like, I, I think a lot of it's just due to the end of the school year. And so like, that's kind of out of my hands. Like there's not really a whole lot I can do. Like they know the end of the school year is coming. And I think it's even worse for me this year because they know that I'm leaving and not coming back. And I feel like I'm getting a lot of backfire from that too. And it's kind of like, well, I can't blame them. Like they feel very, distrusting of me now and like there's not a whole lot I can do I'm trying to let them know how much I care about them but ultimately it's not making a huge difference yeah that's that's tough and you know no matter how bad I've had uh, or how bad a student has been or how difficult they've been it's really important for me to try and remember that like 
the kids are doing that for a reason. They're they're probably not born that way, right? They were they like something happened, something is going on in their life. There's something that's confusing them, or and and so I just try and have a lot of compassion for students for that reason. And but with that being said, like I'm I tell my students all the time, like don't mistake in my kindness for weakness. That I I will not let you act like that in my class, or I will not let you kind of like spoil the rest of the class because you want to act a particular way. But I've had a lot of times when I felt like administration didn't back me up. And in my current school, the administration is fantastic. And I feel like I really can count on them. But for too long before that, I couldn't count on administration. So now I always like hasten to go to the principal or call like a we have security guards at our school, which makes us sound like a really tough school, even though they're just my buddies that hang out in the hallway. So they seem to call those guys in because I do like to handle stuff in-house best I can, uh, because I feel like I, I don't want to hand off my problems. I want to be able to to handle them myself. And so that's tough. A lot of that is a pride thing for me, all, but that's just kind of how I've I've handled things. And, and it's been... All right, so far. Um, how So Edwin asked, I have no experience with this, but you, you could probably speak to this. Uh, you're on a math block. You probably have mentioned this in one of your videos. I can't remember. Do you have block scheduling in your school or do you, how do you run that sort of thing? Yeah, so we have 75 minutes for math. Um, and I will say that this year, my math has been completely different than the past two years because we just adopted a brand new curriculum. And in the past, I always did math groups because I felt like that was just the easiest way for my students, especially when they were on such different levels. So I would usually do the first like 45 minutes of the math block would be rotations. They would do like four 10 minute rotations. And I usually did, they would meet with the teacher. They would do something technology related. They would do something hands-on and then they would do some kind of independent work. So I could kind of use that data to drive the next lesson. And then the last half an hour would be for whole group. This year, um, which it kind of doesn't make sense to me, but we have been told not to use math groups and we've been told to do it all whole group. And I'll be completely honest, I just don't like that. I mean, it's just not, it doesn't fit with like how I like to teach. I think it's really hard to do a 75 minute whole group lesson. And then like they go back to their seats and they sit and work in the workbook. Like it, it pains me every day when we have to do that. But like we were told this year, we have to follow that curriculum with fidelity and it's been a hard adjustment. Um, but preferably I like to have small groups for like over half of the time. And then the last like 30 minutes for that whole group lesson. How, how much, does your school kind of dictate like what you teach and when you teach it and, and stuff like, is that planned out for you to an extent or what? And that's kind of different too. So in years past, you know, we're given the amount of time we have to spend on each subject. So it's 75 minutes for math. Um, it's like two hours and 15 minutes for reading half an hour to 45 minutes for science and half an hour to 45 minutes for social studies. And in the past we got to create our own schedules interesting enough this year we've had a change of administration and this year we were handed our schedules <laughs> so we didn't really have a lot of flexibility like we're told you have to teach this at this time it worked out for me because i like to do math in the morning because my kids are just a lot more awake and it works out better for me and thankfully that's how it has 
worked out this year. That's what my schedule was. But I know some of my team teachers, they have to teach it in the afternoon. And like, it's, I feel bad for them because we don't have a lot of flexibility this year. And it's hard. I feel like honestly, you know, you hire a teacher for a reason, you hire them because you know that they are capable. And I feel like my philosophy is that administration should be trusting of you that you are going to do the best job that you can and that you know what's best for your students. Um, but unfortunately, that's just not always the case. Yeah, it comes off a little bit like a, like an assembly line or something like that, where you're kind of a robot in class. And, and I'm lucky enough to be in a school where I can do, I pick all of my books. So my ninth graders read five to six novels a year. I pick all of the books that I want to pick. My elective that I teach, I teach a history of hip hop elective that I was allowed to pick. I didn't, they said, pick anything. So long as you can make it like educational, go with it because they wanted to try and engage the kids and make them more interested in things that, uh, or have us make things that they were, the kids were already going to be interested in. And, and so that wasn't a hard sell at my school. And now I argue with the students that I know more about hip hop than anyone in the building, um, which is always hilarious. Uh, Stephanie asked, what did you do to prepare for your first year of teaching? I'm going to start, her comments moving. I'm going to start in August and I don't want to miss anything in my preparation. What, what did you do? I mean, I'll be completely honest. I feel like teachers, especially new teachers, are so focused on like being prepared when ultimately a lot of it is going to totally depend on your school. It's totally going to depend on your class. And like, I know some of the things that I like prepared for my first year of teaching, I ended up not using at all because I got in there and I was like, what was I thinking? Like, I didn't know anything. So, so I... I know one of your past teacher talks that you did, I think it was with um, Kyle, where he mentioned, one of you mentioned like getting the rest of your life in order so that you can focus a lot of your time on teaching. And I honestly feel like that's the best thing to do. My first job, I didn't, my only job, my current job, I didn't get hired until July 31st. And then I had to start like the new teacher training kind of things like two weeks later. So I didn't have a lot of time to prep for like a specific grade level. I mean, there were some things that I got ready that I knew I was going to need, just like posters for my room. And I, you know, printed those and laminated them. But ultimately, a lot of your classroom management stuff and curriculum, you don't really know what you don't know until you get in there. Like, you don't really know what you're going to need to practice on and spend time on until you get in there. So honestly, just make sure the rest of your life is in order so that when you do get into the classroom, like, you can spend extra time where you need to work on. Yeah, I think... You know, the funny thing about college is uh, it's like going to school to learn how to swim. And I've talked about this before, but like, and then you never got into a pool and teaching is kind of like that. You learn all this sort of stuff about teaching, but you've never actually taught maybe like a lesson here or there. And then to get your own classroom, I remember that first year that I taught in Camden and I was so pumped and my room was tight. Everything looked great. I had like spent all this money on posters and ties and uh and then that first day hearing the bell ring and hearing the swarm of children coming down the hallway i was like immediately terrified because i had no idea like why would anyone listen to me i don't think i would listen to me why would anybody else listen to me and when they came in and i told them like where to sit and how the seating chart was going to go and it kind of went easier than i thought but i also went in with that idea of like that um that I was going to be really strict and have really like really push the kids. And what I, what I kind of, like you said, you, you don't, you don't know what you don't know, right? You don't, 
you, you have to, I think it has a lot to do, being successful your first year has a lot to do with figuring out the kind of person that you are and how you can relate that to the kids. And so I, re I didn't realize at first that like, I have a really powerful sense of humor. It's one of the things that I like the most about myself and why wouldn't I use that to connect with the kids? And I really like, I'm interested in what the kids are, are who they are. And so why wouldn't I use that to my advantage? So I think it has a lot to do not so much with like the logistics of your classroom, but although that's important, I think it has a lot to do with like you figuring out who you are, what your strengths are and what you bring to the classroom, because that's going to mean everything. Everything else is kind of secondary to that. Although I do think that there's a lot to do with making sure that like, like I feel better when my house looks tidy and, and things are where they're supposed to be. That puts my brain in a good place. So anything I can do to put myself in a really good place, whether that's exercising or meditating or praying, I feel like I can go in on my A game and nothing can touch me. Because even now, if I'm having an awful week, if I can kind of get my head into a space where I'm feeling better, then I'm just ready to, to crush it no matter what happens. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, uh, let me ask you this since we're on here while I'm looking for the next question. Why, why YouTube? How come you started a YouTube channel? What was it about that, that, that intrigued you? Yeah. So I never really went into it, like expecting to do vlogs. That was just kind of something that happened. I actually used to run a fitness like YouTube channel. Don't search for the videos because they're taken down now. Like it was horrible. Like I literally did it from my laptop. I remember I called it my weekly fitness and I posted, um, it was MWF and I post on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And like, I've always loved just putting content out there and I'm like the kind of person where I love to create things. And that's why I love teachers pay teachers so much. And that's why I love YouTube. Cause like, it's me and like me getting to put myself into a video or into a product and putting it out there for other people. And I knew that I had all of these ideas that like I wanted to share for the classroom. And I figured YouTube was the best outlet for that. And I decided to go for it. And I've had a lot of people ask me like, what, you know, what should I do if I want to start? And it's honestly just jump into it. Just start putting content out there, put out valuable content that people need and you'll get the support. Um, the vlogging kind of happened on accident. Like I had people tell me to do a vlog. So I was like, okay. And I recorded one and like everyone loved it. So I was like, okay, I guess I can keep doing this. And now like that's the central part of my channel, which is kind of weird to me because that was never what I like intended for it to be. Um, but again, like it's driven by your viewers, like they will let you know what they want to see. And as long as you listen to them, that support will be there. And honestly, like starting YouTube was the best decision of my life because the support that I've gotten on there, like I honestly don't think I could have gotten through this school year without that. So I am so incredibly thankful for just the teaching community in general. Like I honestly feel like out of all the professions, it is by far the most like supportive community. And I feel like it's because we need that. Like teachers know how they other teachers feel and they know how, that they need that support. And I'm just so thankful for everyone like on YouTube and you know, even Instagram, Facebook, like it's everywhere on social media. And I honestly can't imagine teaching like ago before that existed like i feel for those teachers because i never could have gotten through it without like that support yeah it's that was really surprising to me as well so i started youtube uh because i really like mentoring people and i and i would i always mentor new teachers both officially and unofficially i just show up in your rooms or asking questions about yourself and seeing how i can help uh and so 
I just felt like there was nothing available for people that were like me when I started teaching. There were a lot of programs available that you could buy or books that you could read, but I just wanted some like real world like stuff that would happen in the classroom and how people would respond to it or how do you deal with discipline or classroom management or organization. And so I just thought that I thought first it was just jokes. It was like goofy stuff that me and my students lunch. And then it turned into, well, how can someone actually use this or why do I do this in class? And so that was, I just put out stuff that I thought was helpful to other folks. And, you know, the thing that, like you said, that surprised me the most is the community on, on YouTube and how people interact and how they support one another. Like, uh, like Miss May from One Fab Teacher, I've talked to her. I mean, we talk on the phone and it's so funny to me. I wonder like, how have we not been best friends? Or like we're we just we're really close, really really quickly. Or uh, Kate, the sleepy teacher, like even just talking to her on the phone, I just feel like I'm talking to someone that I've known for 20 years and not someone that I just met like a few months ago. It's really it's been really really. Great. Uh, Kelly Ross, asked, do you have any advice on how to approach your first day of school? Do you prefer to get to do, do you prefer get to know you activities? Or or starting with rules and expectations? That's a really good question. Uh, what, what would you say for that? Would you, what do you do? And has that changed from your first year? Yeah, I mean, I honestly feel like I do a mixture of both. Like you have to set those expectations the first day, but you also need to build, you know, your class from day one. So I honestly feel like it's best to kind of go like back and forth. Um, I would say more time spent on like, you know, the rules and routines. Like I remember hearing people say the whole thing of like, don't smile till December or whatever. And I always, you know, it's like, I would never do that. But at the same time, like you, it's always easier to go in and be stricter with them and let up later. If you go in too lenient, like you're not going to get them back. And that's really, really hard. Cause I feel like that's kind of what I went through my first routine. Um, so yes, it's important to build that classroom community and it's important to let, you know, your students know that you care about them and just create the entire culture of your class. But at the same time, like you, you have to set those expectations from the first day. And I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have any specific like go-to activities. I honestly have changed it every year because I'm, you know, I'm still a new teacher. Like I still am wanting to try out ideas and I'm still wanting to just experiment basically every year is a fresh slate every year you get to kind of completely restart and you get to change like um just everything you do and see if it works better so i haven't found something yet that's like my go-to i'm honestly i find new things every year i get new ideas i try them out um but i honestly feel like it's a combination of both like you've got to create that culture your community but then at the same time like you have to get your expectations across yeah, I, you know, I, I do a couple of things and it's slightly changed over the years. And now I'm pretty much just solid on what I do those first couple of days. One, I let the students know how much I want to be there, that I absolutely love teaching, that I'm, I would not rather be anywhere else, that I want for them to succeed more than anything else in the year. And, and I just really try and convey that. I tell them, I want this to be the greatest class of the year. I love all the other teachers, but I want to be better than them. I want this to be the class that you remember when you think back at, of high school. And from there, I just say, you know, I don't, I don't do a lot of rules. I have like one rule in my class, uh, 
which is if you give respect, you get respect. And so, and the idea there is, I mean, teaching ninth grade is a lot different than teaching elementary school. I just, I ask guys, I say, I pick a few people out and I say, if I called your mother right now and I asked her if she raised a fool, what would she say? And everyone always says no. And there's always like one like wise guy that's like, oh, my mom would probably say I was a fool. But, you know, the idea there is that your parents have already raised you right. You know what you should and shouldn't do. You know that you shouldn't throw things across the classroom and that you shouldn't take your shoes off in class and other weird things that kids do. But, you know, I just I just think that they already know so much stuff on what they should and shouldn't do that I don't feel like I need to go through that. And and when I do that, I feel like it lets the kids know that I'm thinking of them as adults and not as kids. And as 15-year-olds or 14-year-olds, I think that goes a long way. And then the very first activity that I do as a ninth grader is before you know anyone in class, because uh, our students come from all over the city of Philadelphia, and so a lot of them don't know one another. Before you know anyone, before you go to your next class, before anything happens, before you start to even form opinions, I want you to write a letter to yourself and say, this is who I am, this is what I like, this is my favorite car, TV show, song, um, this is the girl that I like. Uh, and then I ask them a number of questions like, what is, a, what is something going on in your life right now that you're not sure how it's going to work out? Maybe your parents are arguing a lot. Maybe your mom's pregnant. You're not sure if she's going to have a boy or a girl. Maybe you might move. And so they write all the stuff down in a letter and they give it to me by the next day. It's homework on the first day. I seal those letters up. I never look at them. And then on graduation night, I show up at graduation. And I hand those letters out to the students and it gets the greatest response every year. Kids, I've had kids cry when I give them out. Kids that completely forgot about them. I've had students that have moved away that will contact me from other states that, that have gotten back to me. And it's just a really great way to start the year because it's kids love talking about themselves. And it's this thing to look forward to. And I tell them that no matter where you move, no matter what happens, I'll make sure that this letter gets to you. And I've had a pretty good return rate on that. Some kids disappear off the map. I have no idea whatever happened to them. Uh, and no one does. So I hold on to those letters in case they show up. But that's that's how I start my year. And it, and it works really well for me. Uh, yeah, Phillip, actually, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, I do something similar where like I tell my class on the first day, like, oh, yeah, you were you were put in the best second grade class. Like, didn't you know that? And I always tell them, like, you guys are the best students out of all of second grade. And there's always ones like, really, me? And I, I feel like that's just a great way to start the year. Um, but I feel like a big difference between like high school and second grade, you know, your students do know right from wrong. And I've had students Absolutely. come to me. Um, where they've never been to school before. Like I, we have a very big Haitian population and I've had kids come to me where they've literally never been to school and they come and they have no idea about any of it. Like they don't know how to go to the bathroom by themselves. Like it's just, it's a completely different culture. Um, and so that's, you know, it's, that's why I said like enforcing the expectations and like letting them know that is because I honestly have kids that come to me where they've never been to a school before and they have no idea like what the expectations even are. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that. And I think that's really, that's good advice. Um, Philip White said, so two things while I'm doing this one, I want everyone to, I feel like I've gotten comments about this before. I'm always paying attention. I have to look down at my phone though. So sometimes it looks like I'm not listening, but I'm trying to like do two things at once. And, uh, and there's not always a answer to every, like, 
I don't even want to talk about that. All right, I'm going to go on to the next question. So Philip White said, Michelle, do you have any tips? I was just qualified as a high school geography teacher last week, and I'll only be a few years older than the students, and I'm afraid they won't take me seriously. So as a young, as an especially young teacher starting out, uh, even with staff, did that affect you at all, like being so young as a first-year teacher? Yeah, that was hard. Um, my first year of teaching, I was 20. And the hardest thing for me, I mean, obviously, second graders look at me like I had second graders ask me if I, if I have kids. And I'm like, really? Like, do you really think that's an option for me? But they saw me as an adult. And I think that's different because I'm with second graders. Um, the parents were definitely the hardest to pull you know, on my side, I had parents pulling their kids out of my class their first year because they didn't want a first year teacher. And it's really interesting because then after my second year, you know, I had the parents coming to me where they're like, oh, I was so apprehensive, but I'm so happy like my kid had you. And, you know, the second year I had kids trying to get into my class and the parents were requesting me as their teacher. So I feel like honestly, your first year, it's kind of just like prove them wrong. Um, there's only so much you can do to overcome that like prejudgment staff um honestly a lot of my staff i don't think they realized how young i was until like after the fact because i've always been the kind of person where i act older than i am and people always think i am older not that i look it but just with the way that i act um and i remember like at the end of my first year they were like how wait you're only you know 20 21 like they didn't believe it um and that's kind of a cool thing too you know you just have to look at the positive like i like the fact that when i was you know, first starting out, I was 20 years old. And, you know, how many other teachers have that opportunity? And, like, it's great, because I'm going to get to retire early. Like, it's just, there's positives for every negative. So yes, there's going to be parents that doubt you, there's going to be staff that probably doubts you, but you have to be confident, know that you were hired for a reason. You know, high school, obviously, is different. I can imagine that would be extremely hard when you're only a couple years older than the kids. And I can see where they would have a difficulty you know, respecting you as an adult, but at the same time, think about how much easier you can relate to the kids because you're close to their age and you understand them. Like there is positives, even though it is a, a difficult thing. Yeah, I, I think one, I don't know that I would tell anyone my age when I first started. I wouldn't tell the students on the first day anyway. And two, I think, you know, age doesn't equal maturity, right? So like you said, you've always acted older than you were. I'm 40 years old and I totally don't act like I feel like my parents did when they were my age. And, you know, the funny part about my school is I'm at a charter school where most of all this. So next year, uh, we have someone leaving this year. So next year, I will be the oldest teacher in the school at 40. And that just blows my mind. So most of my friends at school are between 25 and 30 years old. And so that's who I hang out with most of the time. And, and for me, I feel like we're the same age. But to them, I realize and I tell them, when we go out to dinner and stuff, like I am under no illusion that I am not the old dude here. I remember the old dude that used to hang out every once in a while, but I get it. I know, I know who I am. And so I just wouldn't let your age be the, the, the factor that dictates whether or not you're going to be successful or the kids are going to take you seriously. They're going to take you seriously. If you take yourself seriously. And if you really, really care about them deeply, that trumps everything, no matter how old you are, I think. Uh, it was a question that just popped up and I missed it. Uh, Lane Aries asked, what is your favorite part about teaching? The, um, the connections with the kids. And like, I love, 
there's always that one student every year that's like you really connect with them um and a lot of times like this year if you watch any of my vlogs i call him knuckles um, and it's kind of a nickname that started like several months ago and he loves it like i've had people ask if it's insulting he loves the nickname um and like he's been like that one where he has been so difficult behavior wise and like my goal this year is like you know what i'm gonna get him on my side like i'm gonna get him to love me i'm gonna get him to love school i'm gonna get him to love learning and I have seen him mature so much this year. And like today was a really rough day. Um, and he was like the one where like he could tell how much it was affecting me. And like, he drew me a picture and left it on my desk and like came up and gave me a hug. And it's just like, you know, I did it. Like I got him on my side and, you know, there's those students like you will never, ever, ever forget. Um, and I just think like, that's the best part of teaching. No other career, like, it's just not like that. And teaching, you know, you're gonna have kids that come back to you five, 10, 20 years from now, and you get to see how you impacted their life. Like you are the only one, you know, to care about them at that time. And like, you completely changed around their life. Um, and that's just such an amazing thing that I just can't imagine getting from any other career. Yeah, I, I think mine is very similar in that, I love changing kids' minds. I love when kids come in and they're so adverse to being at the school, right? All boys school, all boys that are in high school always think they can get hundreds of girls if, if they were just around Reynolds. You have no idea what my game is. And so and and so they play this game in the beginning of the year that it's all boys here. I don't like this. We have to wear uniforms. It's too hard to, to learn here. And I love taking that idea and just completely turning it on its head. And I've loved that. I mean, when I taught in Camden, it was a co-ed school, but that challenge drives me so much. And I love when I can make a kid like school or like my class, or when by the time they graduate, they're like, you know what? These guys aren't just the guys that I go to school with. These are my brothers that I go to school with. And about two weeks ago, I had a student come over who I taught 10 or 11 years ago uh, she's one of my favorite students of all time. And she texts me on her way home from school and or on her way home from work now because she has a career. And she said, uh, would it be all right if I stopped by? And I said, of course. So my wife and I were cooking dinner in our kitchen. She just walks in the house because she's been here a bunch of times. And she just starts sobbing in my kitchen when she saw us. And I said, what in, what in the world is going on? Like, what happened? And she said, I'm just so happy to see you guys. I've missed you. And for me, like, that's it. Like you win when that happens. Like that child hated my school, hated, hated my class, didn't like me, didn't want to be a part of anything when she was a freshman in high school. And I just kept chiseling away at her year after year. And I just wouldn't let her, I, I just wanted her to connect to someone. It didn't have to be me, right? One of the things I tell my students all the time is like, I don't need to be your hero. I just want you to have one. And for someone to show up and to get that kind of response, it's like, I'm done. Like I could, I could be done now and I'd be completely happy uh, because I, those connections are everything for me. Um, how do you, so this is a good question. Uh, I think the sleepy teacher saw this on YouTube probably, but she's saying, how do your colleagues feel about social, about you having social media? So what if people, does anyone watch your YouTube channel at school and what do they say about that or Instagram or whatever else? Yeah, um, it's kind of...
those things where I just started it on my own and I never came out and said like, Hey, I'm doing this, check it out. Like I just did it my first year at the very end of my first year. Like I started an Instagram mostly because I was tired of like annoying my friends and my family with all my posts about teaching. So I was like, okay, I'm going to create one for teaching. So I created my Instagram and I think my team teachers were the first ones to find out because I also started making TPT products and I was sending it to them and they've always been super, super supportive. Um, and I'm so thankful for that. And then like my second year, I kept up with, you know, the, the Instagram and I think some more people started to find out. And then with YouTube, again, my team teachers knew um, and more staff members just started to find out a little bit at a time. Um, I remember one of the fifth grade teachers, like she stopped me one day in the hallway and she's like, oh, I was on YouTube. And like, I saw a video pop up on the side and I realized like it was you. And I feel like it's happened a little bit at a time. Um, now I would probably say a fair amount of teachers at my school know they've all been super, super, supported people come to me and like give me a hug and they're like oh i saw your vlog last week like and they're super supportive um you know i have an assistant that's in my room and she'll like comment on my videos from time to time and i just i'm so appreciative of that because i you know i don't think that happened where i'm sure there's teachers who have also had like negative responses but thankfully mine's super positive i'm so thankful for them um and just like the way they've been reacting to it and it's kind of funny because now people will come by my room and if my door is closed which it is most of the time like knock to see if I'm vlogging because they don't want to just like walk in and interrupt it so it's it's cool they're super supportive they're super just they've showered me with so many like kind words that I appreciate so much uh, have you ever had any, any parents complain about you like about you your social media presence um I haven't I honestly I I've, I haven't had anything negative. No, honestly, a lot of the parents are just not involved. Um, I mean, I have probably almost half of my class where I have never even spoken to the parent. I've never seen them. I've never spoken to them. I've never been able to get a hold. Like I just, I, they could walk past me on the street and I would have no idea. So um, a lot of the parents that I do connect with, though, I've always had really good relationships with them. Um, my first year of teaching was kind of hard. But ever since then, like I've had really positive relationships. Um, and I mean, I'm not one to like give out my phone number, but I have several parents who are like, I give out my phone number because I trust them and they trust me. And like, you know, it's just easier for us to text. And like, I've honestly had the parents that are involved are really, really supportive. Yeah, I yeah. So I started, I started doing Instagram posts and not YouTube first. And I had, uh, I didn't think anyone was going to watch them. Not even the students that were in them watched them. They liked making them, but it, I eat lunch with about 20 to 30 students every day in my room. And I offer my room up in the beginning of the year as a place for like kids that don't fit in other otherwise, or they don't want to sit in the lunchroom with everyone. They can just quietly eat lunch in my room and eventually I make them talk to me and then I make them all be friends and uh and I take credit for all of that even though I probably have very little to do with it but uh YouTube became something that we started doing together just making videos and being silly and over time that evolved and I didn't think it would evolve to like even what it's evolving into now and you know the funny thing is uh I don't think anyone at my school watches me. I don't think any of my of the other teachers watch me. I have no reason to think that they do. They do laugh when I'm always walking around with a video camera and like, or if I'm in my room, no one ever knocks. They always want to come in and like surprise me 
when I'm when I'm in the middle of something, especially the students. I have a student uh, who who's on here now, Amir Williams, who tries to pop in behind my camera as much as he can, and he I don't he. He says it's not a photo bomb, it's a video bomb, and he thinks that's really funny for some reason. But YouTube for me has been this thing that is like allowed, I think, parents to get a glimpse into what our classroom looks like. And even this year, we got to go to Costa Rica for the first time. I took 11 students to Costa Rica for nine days. Most of those kids had never been on an airplane before, never left the country. And it really just gave their parents some insight on, as to what's going on. Because I think a lot of times, I know my son does this, and he's only nine. I'll ask him, hey, what'd you do in school today? He's like, nothing. And then you find out later they did something awesome that somebody brought like lizards in the school or something cool. But their answer is always the same, nothing. And so when the guys got back from Costa Rica, that's what they were telling their parents. Like, how was it? It was pretty good. And I know that they had the time of their life. So the parents were like watching the videos to kind of catch up and see what was going on. And so going into school next year, I plan on just having parents maybe sign a note that says it's okay that their kids are on YouTube. And because that's just going to benefit you to see like what your kid's learning and how they act in school and how like what the kind of activities that we're doing. And for me, I, I wish that that existed in my son's classroom. I think it would be great to be able to have that sort of, of stuff to be able to look back on. Um, so we're at an hour. You want to do three more questions? Can you, can you do that? Yeah. Yeah, okay, absolutely. Cool. Um, so Abby story said, Oh, okay. Uh, how do you balance out doing enough for yourself and not getting carried away with your students? I think teaching is often that thing that like, you're never done planning. You're never done getting ready. How do you, how do you balance those things out? Um, honestly, I feel like a lot of that comes with experience. I know my first year, I mean, not that I put in less effort now, but like I kind of realized, you know what, if I spend two hours planning this lesson, or one hour planning this lesson, like so much of it is on you as a person teaching um, and just how into it you are. And like, you can spend two hours planning this great lesson and it can completely flop. So I've really had to kind of plan, like just realizing that so much of it isn't done in the planning, it's done in the teaching and like who you are as a teacher and just your personality and bringing that into it. Um, so I used to spend so much time just doing these super involved lessons and then I realized it's like, you know what, that's just not what's benefiting my students, it's not benefiting me. Like I was, you know, my first year teaching, I was a teacher there until nine o'clock where the janitors were come knock on the door and like, you have to leave because we're locking up the school and, you're not going to be the best teacher that you can be when you are so burnt out from doing that every single day and you're so tired. And I mean, I'm tired this year, but it's different. Like it's because now I'm doing YouTube and that takes a lot of time, but that's also something that I love so much. And I can't imagine now like not doing it. Like that's a non-negotiable for me now. Like that's a part of my life. So, um, you know, find something that you enjoy. And like, if you can find a way to relate it to teaching, like for me, my blogging and the Instagram and all that, like, it's something that I love, but I'm still getting ideas. I'm still, you know, putting in the time with my lessons and all that, but like also doing it in a way that to me is just more enjoyable. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's funny. I was also, I was at the school as soon as it opened in the morning, I would leave as soon as like when they made me leave at night, I loved it. And I think someday I'll probably go back to that place. But when I had children, it just changed because 
I just knew that they, they, they changed so quickly and I didn't want to miss any of that stuff. And so even now with the seven and a nine year old, I do almost no work at home. I'm never, I'm very rarely at my school when I don't need to be there. And that's really just because I want to be there with my kids. And I tell parents this in the beginning of the year, when we have back to school and I say, my kids are young enough that they're still excited when I come home and they're still pumped to see me. So I want to be home with them as much as I can. And one day when they're teenagers and maybe they don't like me anymore or not as much, or they're not as excited, I'll go back to working those longer hours. Cause I really, I do enjoy it, but I, th I think you're right. There's a difference between that first year where you're totally burnt out. And I remember getting home at night and passing out on my couch and waking up in the morning and thinking, Oh my God, I didn't even eat dinner. I don't, I don't even remember falling asleep. And so as to now, I really, really love it so much that I, I would spend more time and, and you're right about YouTube. I mean, I'll come home at five, six o'clock at night, and then I'll do YouTube until midnight, one in the morning, just because it's really fun to do and, and to think of stuff. And, and plus if students help me with a video, so we made a video yesterday, me and a bunch of kids, and they kept texting me like, did you put that video up yet? I, I see you didn't put the video up yet. And I'm just like, it doesn't just appear, man. You gotta like, it takes an enormous amount of work to make something that's even half decent looking. So that's been, that's been interesting as well. But uh, yeah, it's, it can be, it can fill up as much time as you want it to fill up. Uh, so here's a really, you touched on this just a moment ago. So this is a good question. Uh, Cece Moffat asked, do you have a story when you taught a lesson that totally failed and what changes did you make to do the reteach the lesson or, or maybe you didn't reteach it. Maybe you threw it out. What, what do you do when something is like a total fail? Yeah, for me, I feel like the, the main reason that will happen is because I will expect my students to have background knowledge on something and then I'll go in to teach it and they're so lost because they've just never encountered that. I'm trying to think of a specific example, but I mean, there's just been things where to my kids, I'm like, how do you not know about that? I mean, most of my kids don't have computers at home. They don't have internet access. Like they don't leave our city, our town. Like they, a lot of their parents don't have cars. Like they just don't have access to a lot. So that's definitely something I've learned that I have to build that background knowledge because they just don't come to me with it. And with my students, there's such a like big gap. You know, I have kids, like I said, who come to me speaking no English. They don't know anything about school. And then I have, you know, some kids that come from great families where they're getting so much exposure at home and they're coming to school ready to learn and like trying to bridge that gap. So any lessons I have had that have completely flopped, it's been because that background knowledge was not there and it's been a learning experience. I had that a lot my first year, but I don't as much now because I can kind of anticipate what are they not going to know? What do I kind of have to teach them first? Yeah, I think that's that's huge. That experience is huge. My first year, I remember putting together this persuasive essay unit and we were going to like study Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. I had like the speech ready and we were going to break it down. It was going to be awesome. And everyone hated it. I remember watching the speech and the kids were like, what is this? This is such nonsense. So boring. Why is it black and white? And it just, they hated it. And I remember being paralyzed because I thought I spent a week getting this, all this stuff together and creating all these activities. And now what am I going to do? And so instead we created this lesson where we turned our room into uh, an art gallery and they, everyone had to learn someone from the Harlem Renaissance. 
And so this was for Black History Month, so I was trying to stay in that theme. And everyone had learned someone from the Harlem Renaissance and created an exhibit for them. And then that lesson exploded and was the best thing that I did that year. So it's kind of interesting that out of that failure, this really wonderful thing happened, but it scared me to death because I just didn't, I just didn't know what to do next. And the more you teach, I think you're right. Like you get a sense of like what the kids like and what they don't like, what they're going to be interested in and whatnot. And so you can take those things that are even seemingly boring and make them into something really cool. But uh, I think that just really just comes with experiences like figuring out that sort of thing. Like, what, what am I going to do next and not freak out in the moment when my activity has gone completely awry and, you know, what do I do next? Yeah. Um, let's do, so this is a pretty simple uh, final question and then um, we'll, we'll take it from there. But Jill, Phil, Jill Phipps, Jill Phipps, I thought, I almost said Phillips. Jill Phipps said, how much time do you spend editing your vlog each night? I also, it's really funny when my wife is sitting next to me because she finds the questions and then pulls them up for me. And uh, when I don't read a question first, sometimes I'm kind of caught off guard. I don't know what it's going to be about. But how much time do you spend editing your vlog each week? So I, unfortunately, I don't edit each night. I don't edit my vlog until Friday. Like that is my Friday night. Like I have a tradition. I get Subway on my way home. I sit on the couch. I put YouTube on the TV. I watch videos and I edit. I typically get home at six o'clock and I would say I'm usually done editing by like 11. No, I'm not editing that entire time, but I would say for a typically hour long week vlog, it probably takes three to three and a half hours to get it completely edited. Um, I mean, it's, it's a long process and like, I'm very much a perfectionist. So like, I have to make sure everything is perfect and it just takes a lot of time. Like I have so much respect now for like full-time YouTubers who that is their entire life because people think it's so easy. Like, oh, you just make videos. No, it's a lot of work. I mean, I honestly feel like right now I have two full-time jobs between teaching and then running like my business with Teachers Pay Teachers and YouTube. It honestly feels like two full-time jobs. Like the amount of time that I put in is is crazy but like i said i love it like that is what i look forward to on friday i love going back watching the footage and it's so great i'm so happy i have most this year like within vlogs because it's so much easier to reflect on like what went well what didn't go well what could i've done differently and i feel like that's one of the ways to become a better teacher you have to reflect and honestly like with my vlogs that's the easiest way to do that yeah that's a really good point i i wish I, I don't even have a lot of pictures from the first year that I taught because I was too busy doing stuff and, and I wasn't sure I, it just didn't enter my mind. And I, that's so great to have this stuff and, and not only to have it for myself, but like it's on YouTube. And so my students 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you know, they're not just talking about what it was like when they were in high school, but they can actually show someone what it was like when they were in high school. They can show their kids what it was like. And I, I just love that idea of it. I have no idea how much time it takes me to edit my vlogs. It's so broken up. Like if my wife's working and I'm making dinner and I'm helping kids with homework, I'm trying to like sneak in some time in between there, like either in uploading things or finding music for it. And the more I do it, the easier it becomes, but the more kind of ambitious I've become also. We're like, uh, I used to be able to just sneak some songs off YouTube that no one knew I was using and use them and, and it was okay. And now 
Uh, I started not wanting to do that, but I've also been, one of my new things is finding music that students are putting out and using that in my vlogs. And that's been really fun and really great for them to be able to share their music in a meaningful way. Or, uh, you know, it's just, you get more ideas the longer you do it of things that you want to do. So it's just endless. Like, I just feel like I'm always trying to sneak that time in every single night about it. Yeah. Um, were there any, was there anything else that was, there's, there's apparently there are tons more questions. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, do you want, do you want to take a couple more or do you want to, I don't know yeah, how you I are on time. Flexible. I, I can take more. Okay. Just cause there's so many questions. I, I really want to be able to like, uh, asking, uh, me, but this could apply to you as well. Do I attend extracurricular activities of my students? I, I do attend extracurricular activities, not as many as I'd like because I do have small kids that are not remotely interested in sports. So like going to football games and stuff like that is difficult. But I, again, I think when my kids are older, I'll engage in more of that stuff. But I do, I mean, I try and meet up with kids as much as I can. Uh, even over the summer, my co-teacher and I have a number of uh, like small field trips planned to go on with kids because I feel like my students are, you know, when you're 15, it's, summer's pretty boring after two weeks. You slept and played video games about as much as you can and now you don't have anything to do. And so I love, that's just another way for me to like reinforce those relationships with students over the summer. So what about do you? Do you have like, do you have kids that do things outside of school? I think I've heard about you go, going to like dance recitals and stuff like that before, right? Yeah. So honestly, like it's been kind of weird because this year I don't really have many kids involved in extracurriculars, but last year I had a lot. I mean, I went to gymnastics competitions. I went to football games. I went to karate, like belt testings. Um, and I still go to things from kids from like my first year of teaching. Like once they are my student, I consider them always my student. I have a student from last year who her grandmother will call me every once in a while when we go out to lunch. Um, you know, me, her and her grandmother, like I love those connections with my kids this weekend. I'm going to one of their birthday parties. Like I love to attend those events. Um, I will say I am, I, ha I have to be careful because a lot of my, um, some of the places they play like their games. I mean, I've had times where I go and I mean, I have people staring at me cause they're like, what are you doing here? And it's like, it's kind of a safety thing. Like my boyfriend most of the time will try to come with me cause, um, I've, I would love to like go to my kids' apartments. Um, you know, they live right by the school, but like safety wise, I don't think that's a possibility for me. Um, but I love to go to their events as much as possible. I don't have like a family. I don't have kids right now. So I'm able to go to a lot more of that as long as like I feel safe going or like my boyfriend's able to go with me. I love to go to as much as possible. And I think that that's important. Like I know I had a kid last year that is like one of the things that turned his behavior around. Like he had always been one where he was having difficult behavior. And then as soon as I started going to like his football games, his basketball games, like it completely changed it around. And I mean, you can make such a big difference by doing that. Yeah, I think it's it's huge. Someone asked, is teachers pay teachers worth all the hassle? Like, so all the work you put into it, does it, is the payback worth it? Yeah. Um, I, I personally say 100% because it's something that I love. I creating things like I always said, if I didn't go into teaching, I wanted to be like a graphic designer. I absolutely love that. So for me, like that's my stress relief. And, you know, people always tell me to take time for myself, but I'm like, 
honestly creating products editing videos like that is my way of taking time for myself i love it 100 so if it's something that you really enjoy absolutely it's it's worth it it is a lot of work i mean it's honestly like another job but if it's something that you enjoy it is 100 worth it yeah that's uh i've actually asked a couple of friends about that um and i've it's been the same answer like if you enjoy doing it do it but if not you know uh it's you know it takes a while to kind of like build the, the uh the following on there yes for stuff absolutely um uh, what was that other question you had kelly bilbo asked what is the number one advice you can give a brand new teacher take time for yourself um my first year i mean i not that i got burnt out but like i had to kind of learn the hard way that as important as it is that you put in time in your classroom it's equally important that you take time for yourself and i appreciate your teacher there is always more to do no matter what like you're all your to-do list is never going to end and if you don't set like boundaries for yourself whether it's like timeless or only certain days where you're going to stay late like you are going to burn that burn out because you can't get through everything like it's just impossible so be willing to not have everything be perfect you know do the best that you can but don't feel like you're failing as a teacher if you're not getting like everything done because it's it's just not possible yeah I'd say for me, it was one, be who you really are. Don't try and be something else like that you think the students expect or the parents expect or the teachers, other teachers expect. Uh, be your authentic self as much as you can. So if you are very serious or you're more introverted, don't pretend to be an extrovert and, and vice versa. If you're very silly, I think use that in the class. Uh, there's there's limits to both of those things. And, and I think you can go too far either way. But be who you authentically are. And the step two of that is don't wait to do that. Don't think, uh, I, I know a lot of teachers that are waiting for tenure to kick in and then they're like, then I'm going to start doing like crazy stuff in my room. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, I have all these wonderfully act, like activities of kids getting out of their seats and moving around and us going outside and going on trips. I'd say, don't wait to do that. You will fall into a pattern of being the teacher that doesn't do that. And a lot of times people start living into that, into that pattern, into that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like they're, uh, they, I don't know. They kind of paint a picture of who they are and then they start living up to that. And I say yeah. from day one, just be who you really are. And that authenticity goes really, really far, not just with the students, but with the other teachers and learning to be vulnerable that that's a, there's a level of vulnerability in that that I think is huge when you're dealing with students that if they see you being being yourself they'll do the same thing uh okay let's do do one more okay I, I keep asking you this but I just I want to check in so just to make sure uh Mara Mara McDowell asked pros and cons of teaching in lower income title one district what do you what are your answers to that um, so I'll start with the pros. I mean, I honestly feel like it is the best way to make an impact. Um, you know, I just feel like some of these kids, they honestly don't have anyone at home that cares about them. And you get to be like that one sense of security for them. You get to be that one that cares about them and that tells them, you know, you're going to go on to be successful because a lot of times at home, they're getting the exact opposite of that if anything at all. So I honestly feel like teaching at a Title I school or teaching at a low-income school, you have the biggest opportunity to make a difference. 
Um, but I'm not like, it is challenging. It's extremely challenging. And it does depend a lot on your class. Cause last year I had a wonderful class cause they just meshed well together this year. Not so much parent support, you know, is hard with a title one school. It's not that a lot of the parents don't want to be involved. A lot of the times they can't, they're working two or three jobs and they don't have the option to be involved. Like it just doesn't work out that way, but it's, it's hard. Um, also, just trying to fight the environment. I, it honestly can be very defeating feeling like you're almost fighting a losing battle at times. Like you can only make so much impact while they're at school and you know everything that they're dealing with outside of school. And it's like, you can only overcome so much. I mean, I've had kids that can't come to school because someone was murdered outside of their apartment. And it's like, when you know that they're coming to school with that, they're coming to school to be loved. They're not coming to school to learn. And it's hard because you can only be there for them for those few hours that they're at school. And that can be a very hard thing to kind of accept. Um, and knowing that like, as much as you want to make a big difference, sometimes like there's so many other environmental factors that you can't control. And it all, you know, sometimes it honestly feels like you're not doing enough, even though you're putting in so much time, you're trying to do everything you can for them. And sometimes it feels like it's not enough. And that's like a really hard thing to accept. Yeah, I, I think um, those are all, I mean, I, I, I could choose those. I'm going to choose two different things just so that I don't say the same thing. But I think one of the hardest things is there's always, there's a shortage of everything. So I teach in West Philadelphia, which is a Title I inner city school, and your funding is always getting cut. There's not enough room for everyone. There's not enough resources for everyone. There aren't enough computers that, you know, sometimes your desks are falling apart. And that's really, it's a struggle because you want your kids to have the greatest experience they possibly can. And sometimes you just run short of being able to do that. I'd say the best part about it is no one's bothering you mostly, right? So you are free to do like as I've, when I taught in Camden, I would have, I swear, I felt like people would peek in my window. And as long as everyone was sitting down and seemingly doing something, they didn't care what you were talking about. They didn't care what I was teaching. So I got to show movies or teach through songs that might otherwise get me in trouble somewhere else. But because if that's what grabs, if that's what grabs my students, I'm far more willing to ask for forgiveness than permission. I never asked for permission when I started out because I just wanted the kids to, to, to love it. And so whatever I could do to make them love it, I was interested in. And, you know, the one other con I'm, I'm kind of thinking of that sort of, it benefits me, but it's, it sadly doesn't benefit the students is you got a lot of folks that come in and they want to do a really good deed for like a year or two, and then they leave. And I just hate that for the kids because so many students at my school, and I'm sure your kids deal with this as well, they are not used to consistency. They move a lot. The people that live with them move a lot. Um, maybe parents are in and out of relationships or people are in and out of, of problems in their lives. And I just think that the kids need consistency over almost anything that they can show up every single day. I'm in my room every day. I don't call out. Uh, I very rarely call out sick just because I love being there for the guys. They come in in the morning, we eat breakfast together, we eat lunch together. If I don't show up for lunch, I have kids that like don't know what to do that will text me at home and say, Reynolds, where the hell are you? Like, it's lunchtime. What are we supposed to do? Are you in the dining hall? So I just, that 
is really tough for the kids, but then it just makes those of, you know, the teachers that stick around for a long time, um, kind of be able to benefit from that. Uh, and so, yeah, I just think that's what I think of immediately. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for being on Michelle. This is, this yeah. is great. And, uh, I just feel like we could probably go on for hours, but you know, we got to cut off at some point, I guess. So, um, and I want to respect your time. So thanks a lot for, for coming on tonight. I really, really appreciate it. I just want to say before we get off that next week we have a classroom diva is coming on to help answer questions. We'll be on Tuesday night again at 8 PM. If you have any other questions, you can, do you want to tell everyone just where they can find you real quick, Michelle? Yeah. So my YouTube is pocket full of primary. Pretty much everything is pocket full of primary. My Instagram, Facebook, um, probably the easiest way like to get through to me is Instagram. I do have email, but I'm really like bogged down right now. So Instagram is like the number one place or like through YouTube. Yeah. I'd say uh, real rapid, the Reynolds through everything from Twitter. I don't really use Snapchat, but uh, I have one. Um, DM me on Instagram, uh, send me a message through email is fine. And uh, I'll do my best to get back to you. And like I said, anyone who had questions, um, just send those questions along and we'll make sure that we try and get them answered for you. So thanks so much for coming on again. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. I loved it. And that's it for this week, gang. Look, if you ever want to have your question answered on Sunday Night Teacher Talk, all you have to do is show up at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on my YouTube channel, Real Rap with Reynolds, and I'd be happy to answer any question that you put out there. Nothing is off the table. Thanks so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great week. Peace.